You're listening to the Resolute Men Podcast. We have conversations with men who share how putting their faith into action has changed their lives and has empowered them to impact others. Now, on to today's episode. Um, and, uh, and then it all came crashing down in 2015. My first marriage, uh, my marriage to my first wife ended in divorce in part because I was unfaithful to my first wife and because I was a public person. My fall was very public. Um, my worst season in life was broadcast farther and wider than any other thing I'd ever done. Mm. Um, so it was uh, humiliating. It was scary. It was, uh, I felt a deep amount of guilt and shame and regret. Uh, I not only hurt myself, but more importantly, I hurt people that I loved. Um, my now ex-wife, my three kids, uh, people that looked to me, to, that trusted me to be their leader, uh, whether inside the home or outside the home. Um, I mean, it was, it was a cataclysmic crash and burn. And, um, and that was in that, uh, that happened in, um, spring, late spring, early summer of 2015. Um, that following year uh, was spent just kind of reeling. Um, everything, my life went from feeling, my life went from feeling like a dream to feeling like a nightmare almost overnight. Wow. Um, I, I, I was embarrassed. I was convinced that my best days were behind me. I knew the church and the Christian world well enough to know that these aren't the kinds of things that people forgive very easily. Uh, at least the gatekeepers, they don't forgive this kind of thing. Um, I felt then and, you know, continue to feel now, but I'm totally okay with it. Um, you know, sort of like a, an outsider, a, a misfit, um, someone who doesn't belong Mm. Um, and so, um, you know, which I, I used to really have when I was in my resentful, angry stage of recovery, which is usually at the beginning, I was blaming everybody for the way I was feeling. I was blaming myself for some things, but I spent most of my time and energy blaming everybody else. Uh, that doesn't last very long before you bump up against a massive brick wall and you become a miserable person and it's not bringing you any relief to pass the buck. Um, and so God really started deconstructing me in a very mm. powerful and comprehensive way. And through uh, my wife, Stacy, who I married in August of 2016, my kids, a couple of good friends, a couple of good counselors, um, you know, God just slowly started to bring me back to life. Awesome. Um, and so it was a long process. I kind of went off the grid for a while. Um, and then in 2000, late 2017, I started writing again and I was writing. It was very cathartic for me because I knew that if I was ever going to start communicating again, that even though the message of God's grace would be the same, it would be coming from a very different messenger. Mm. And I was convinced that what God wanted me to do was to tell the truth about myself and to share the darkest parts of my journey with people to show how God's 
amazing grace meets us in our darkest corners and in our most hopeless places. Mm. So I started writing about that um, and being very specific, telling the truth about myself in some uncomfortably transparent ways. And people started responding like crazy. Mm. And it, it showed me that there is a mass of people out there who are dying to be set free from their own secrets and struggles and sins and all of that stuff. And they don't feel like the Christian community or their Christian friends or their pastor or whatever are safe people to tell the truth about themselves to. So here I was putting all my crap out there um, in the public and people were literally writing to me from all over the world, telling me their own stories and their own feelings of abandonment and guilt and shame and loss and some people were in a in a jam because they got themselves in a jam other people were in a jam because someone got them in a jam Mm. it didn't matter the people who wrote to me were people who were in jams and suffering because of it um and so it just kind of clued me into the fact that you know church local churches ought to be the safest places for broken people to break down and fallen people to fall down, but all too often for most people, they're the scariest places. Right. So, um, so I, I started writing about that. And as a result of writing, I started getting invitations to speak. And so for about 18 months, my wife and I were traveling around the country. And uh, in one case out of the country, I think we spent five or six days in Brazil a few years ago. Um, and, uh, and I was up there telling my story and talking about the amazing grace of God that rescues bad people like me. And, um, and uh, the response was really, really good. It gave us a clue as we visited a wide variety of different churches. I'm talking big churches, small churches, uh, black churches, predominantly white churches, predominantly black churches, um, Presbyterian churches, non-denominational churches, uh, uh, Baptist churches, I mean, you, Lutheran church, I mean, you name it. It was like, we got a, an experience like you couldn't have paid for. Mm. Um, and in the same thing was true, regardless of the church or regardless of the geographical location. Uh, it was always the same that people, people, broken people, uh, people who have failed, people who have fallen, didn't really feel like God could love them Mm. or that maybe they had screwed up so bad that now they were going to get God's second best rather than his best or whatever. I mean, it was kind of like, man, I've screwed up so bad there. I don't know how anybody could like me, even God. Um, And so uh, right about the time we were peaking at in our travel, it was it was wearing on me. The amount of travel was wearing on me. I'm Mm. I'm kind of a homebody and a very regimented kind of guy in terms of the way I spend my days and traveling around the country is not conducive to that. Um, And we were on a trip and we got a phone call from a friend of ours here in Jupiter, Florida, which is about 45, 50 minutes north of Fort Lauderdale on the southeast coast of Florida. And they said there was a group of, she said, this, this friend of ours called and said she re- was representing a group of people in this area who were interested in us moving here to start a church. Mm. Would we be interested? And I was interested in getting off the road. I was interested in getting back to the Southeast coast of Florida because we weren't living here at the time. Um, but I didn't want to start a church. 
I was like, dude, I do not want to go back to Egypt, man. Like, I, I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I, I want to tell my story and I want to, I want to preach the gospel, but I do not want to start a church or pastor a church. I mean, anyway, we ended up meeting with this group of people for, I don't know, maybe three or four different times. And, um, and as a result, uh, we concluded this is exactly what God wanted us to do. The first meeting we had, I, we were, we were, my wife and I were talking about what our approach was going to be when we met these people. They were meeting us for the first time. We were meeting mm. them for the first time. And I said, I'm going to tell my story so uh, honestly. I'm going to be so uncomfortably transparent about my story that if at the end these people still want us to come, then I'll know these may be our people. Mm. But if they're like, ah, that's not what we're looking for in a pastor. We want someone who has a much cleaner resume than that. Um, then we'll know these, this isn't what we're supposed to do. So, um, you know, it was, it was kind of a, it was a test in some small way. Um, and of course, you know, the rest is history. We made our way here in uh, April, May of 2019 uh, we launched our church, the sanctuary, uh, in the fall of 2019, we were in existence for six months when COVID shut us down for eight mm. months. And we thought we wouldn't have a church when we emerge. And, uh, and we did, and we do, and I am absolutely loving it. I tell people that the sanctuary is, is a recovery place masquerading as a church. And I just, I tell people that if you are, when we think of people in recovery, we typically think of drug addicts, alcoholics, sex addicts, you know, whatever. Uh, but in reality, if you are a human being, you are in recovery. We're all in recovery. If we've ever sinned or been sinned against, if we've ever betrayed or been betrayed, if we've ever been let down, hurt, whatever, um, or if we've ever hurt anybody else. I mean, we are all in recovery. There are two kinds of people in this world. People in recovery who know that they are and people in recovery who think that they're not, but there's no one who's right. not in recovery. Um, and so we, we, we make that very plain um, to the people at the sanctuary. And I think people have found it to be a bona fide sanctuary. Um, you know, their misfit pastor stands up on a weekly basis and you know, um, tells the truth about himself in a way that hopefully sets people free to tell the truth about themselves. So that's what I've done, who I am, what I've done and where I am all in about, I don't know how long that took. Uh, my throat hurts so much because I've been talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, take yourself a drink of water there. And, and uh, yeah. no, that, that's powerful. Very powerful. Um, and it really ties in well. And I know we only have a few minutes left, so I want to respect your time because I know you got other things going on. Um, but, you know, you talked about the deconstruction of your life, right? Um, and it seems like, if I'm hearing you correctly, because um, I think a lot of institutional churches are kind of going through a deconstruction process, at least the people are, right? So yeah. maybe you can kind of share, like, what is different now about how the sanctuary operates as a church versus your typical institutional church? And, and what are people really getting from that and how they're being freed? Yeah, that's a great, great question, ma'am. Um, you know, I, I alluded to one thing I will say, which I've already alluded to, is I don't think it's enough for churches to have a recovery ministry, although that's good. A lot of churches do celebrate recovery or, 
you know, churches host AA meetings or, you know, whatever. Um, but I, I don't think it's enough for churches to have a recovery ministry. I think the church needs to begin to see itself as a recovery ministry. So I tell our people, we have a variety of different recovery groups that meet throughout the week, but our, our largest recovery group is what are all those that gather on Sunday morning. (laughs) Um, We're not doing anything different here. Um, We are, we're essentially hearing number one, we're, we're worse and more desperate than we think we are. But number two, that God's grace is infinitely greater than anything we could ever ask for or imagine. Um, and everybody needs to hear that. That's right. um, so, so, I mean, that, you know, we're, we really are um, posturing ourselves as a recovery place um, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that for me personally, this, feel, this season of ministry feels very, very different than any other season before this. My, my life is kind of divided into, you know, two, my adult life is kind of divided into two parts uh, uh, before 2015 and after 2015. And um, as I mentioned earlier, the message that I preach and that I communicate is essentially the same. I mean, there haven't been any real big changes at all. Um, but the messenger has, is a, is just a completely different person. And mm. so, um, and so while I'm saying the same stuff, I'm saying it from a different place. Not only does that make what I'm doing now feel different, but man, I mean, one of the things I realized in the deconstruction process of my own life is that I had, unbeknownst to myself, located my identity, my worth, my value, my security, my significance. Uh, in a thousand things infinitely smaller than God's acceptance of me and God's love for me. And so, um, you know, if, if I needed, I needed to write more books because writing books made me feel important. Now, I wouldn't have been able to say that at the time. And I was kind of blind to it at the time, but in retrospect, I look back and I'm like, man, I was living my life on a performance treadmill. I was in using theological terms, I was trying to justify myself by my works, mm. by what I did, who I could become, what other people thought of me, and whatnot. Um, and so I was constantly in building mode, constantly. Mm. Well, God, I mean, God cut so much of that crap out. You typically don't know what it is you're depending on to make life worth living until it's gone. And I realized after I lost everything that I was so deeply dependent on all of these things to make me feel like I mattered that when these things were gone, I didn't even know who I was anymore. Mm. So part of the deconstruction process for me was God identifying all of those things that I was finding my significance and security in, and then replacing those things with his acceptance of me, his love for me, his approval of me and those sorts of things. Um, Well, now I mean, I don't, man, I don't give a rat's ass if our church has 50 people in it or 5,000 people in it. Like, I don't care. It feels very good not to care about that stuff, to, to feel like I don't have to achieve something in order to feel like I'm a, a human being, an important person. Um, it just, it feels, you know, I think it was Janis Joplin who said that freedom is another word for nothing left to lose. 
That's exactly <laughs> the way I feel, man. I don't have a reputation to, to keep up anymore. I don't have an image that needs to be managed anymore. Um, I, because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, and God proved this to me over and over and over again when I was in the wilderness, um, because I know beyond a shadow of doubt that God loves me unconditionally and that mm. there's nothing I can do or fail to do that would ever cause him to leave me. Well, that sets me free from needing everybody else to like me. Amen. I don't need, I enjoy it if people like me, but I don't need them to like me because I know God loves me. Well, when I don't need people to like me, it, it makes me a little bit more unedited. You know, I don't care as much about what you think. That's and so right. I'm going to tell the truth about myself. I'm going to be more honest about myself. Uh, I'm going to take the mask off more readily. Well, man, that's freedom. That mm. is real freedom. And so that kind of freedom, I think, is being cultivated at the sanctuary. Mm. It, it's becoming a real sanctuary. Uh, it feels Great. like that to me. And so, you know, I just, I, I, and I think that the Christian community talks about the gospel, talks about grace, talks about those things, but uh, there is a, there is a huge disconnect between uh, grace on paper and grace in practice. Mm. And it's a disconnect, I think, that plagues the Christian community at large. You find great exceptions to this in a variety of different places. And I'm very grateful for those exceptions because those exceptions nurse me back to health. But for the most part, based on the stories that I hear and the people who come to us from all over the place, there's a real disconnect. Sure. Um, grace and God, the word grace and the word gospel is used and, you know, only imperfect people allowed, but God forbid you show your imperfection in any kind of destructive way, then you're no longer allowed, you know? Um, so, um, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know what that means going forward for the church at large. I just know that it is incredibly relieving to me that Jesus mm -hmm. said he will build his church and therefore it's not my responsibility or anybody's responsibility. And there's a huge difference between receiving a church and achieving yeah. a church and not having to achieve one is very, very liberating in this season of my life. Man, that's awesome. That is great. Yeah. And, and you know, <clears throat> being set free in that grace, we just don't hear that enough. Right. You know, mm -hmm. and um, I think, I think a lot of times, Tully, and maybe you can relate to this is that we have the tendency, <clears throat> I used to be a campus pastor. So you kind of, okay. you, you kind of draw back, you know, you're going old Testament, new Testament, and then we're, yeah. we, it, you kind of create this hodgepodge where it's yeah. like, we're going back to the old law, but now we're yeah. teaching about grace. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, yeah, I know I'm free in Christ, but there's always a yeah. factor. I got to do something else. And, and God's simply saying, no, it's yeah. finished. It's I finished. Died. It's finished, man. I died for your past, present and future sins. Done. Yeah. Period. I that put thief, up that a thief on the cross. Didn't have a chance to get his life straight. No. did he? No, no. And I put up, dude, I'm telling you, I put up a, a post on social media. Um, and, uh, I'm trying to look it up right now. Cause it was, I mean, it wasn't, it was, it was I, the things that I post are very consistent with everything I just said. Um, you know, just constantly finding new ways to say it is finished. That's it. Mm. I've said before that preachers are not called to say 10,000 different things. They're called to say one thing, 10,000 different ways. Um, and so I've, I had some friends, <laughs> a bunch of friends reading the hundreds of comments under this post where people are just battling each other. 
And I just, I was like, dude, what in the world? And I, I told a friend of mine, he's like, what? This guy was texting me from a friend of mine in Texas. He was like laughing. He's like, dude, I mean, people are nuts, mm. nuts. And I just said, um, I said, man, it is amazing how people don't even realize their own bitter resistance to it is finished. Mm. It's like they're allergic to grace. I mean, I said, apparently the one thing we hate more than being told what to do is being told that there's nothing we can do, that it's already been done. I mean, there is just, we are wired to, we're wired for self-aggrandizement. We're wired to have flesh in the game. We're wired, we clamor for credit. Uh, We're merit mongers at heart and have been since the Garden of Eden. And yet most of us are blind to it. And so we hear about grace always like, yes, grace, but it has to be followed by a completely changed life to find the way I'm going to define it. And if it isn't, if it doesn't look like that, then we're abusing grace. I'm just like, oh my gosh. Mm. So, you know, you just go, um, you know, you go, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's about all we can do, man. Right? Yeah, right seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I tell you what, I, I I want to give you an opportunity. I, you know, I could go on and on, man, and uh, I'm enjoying this conversation. We're going to have to have you back on. You know that, right? Oh, of course, man. I'd be happy to. And I mean, I've got you. I mean, you let me know. Oh, do you have a little bit of time? Because a couple more. Me. Yeah, yeah. I don't want. I've talked so much. I feel like I've robbed you of an opportunity to. No, ask no, no, no. That's okay. That's okay. So, all right. Let me ask you one more question before we give you an opportunity to kind of talk about, you know, how people can connect with you and such. Yeah. So, so what what does a typical gathering look like at the sanctuary that looks different than what's been done in the past? I mean, can what, do, how do people maybe receiving the message versus differently? I'm sure you probably got people in there who said, "Hey, I've been connected to a you know this church A forever, and now yeah. being here, it's just so different." Is you know, it's just yeah. I'm more free or whatever it may be. Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, in terms of the flow of the gathering, it's, you know, it's pretty typical. It's pretty streamlined. And um, I mean, you know, we, we, we worship in song. Um, I preach. Um, we once a month, we take communion. We do it by all coming forward. It's just really, really sweet, very intimate, very powerful. So there's nothing, we're not trying to be innovative in terms of the right. structure or the flow of our worship <clears throat> services per se. Um, but for instance, I'll give you an example. There's a, a newer couple they've been coming for, I don't know, maybe six weeks or so. And my wife, Stacy and I had dinner with them at their house last night. They invited us over and we went. And so we're getting to know them and they're getting to know us. And they came from another church in town. Um, and it was funny cause I didn't even think about this when I said it on Sunday, but the wife said, you know, one thing that was so refreshing to me about this past Sunday, and I'm thinking, hmm. is she going to talk about something I said theologically or something I said biblically? And it wasn't either of those things. It was when I stood up, I candidly admitted that I woke up this morning and the last thing I wanted to do was come to church. I just didn't want hmm. to do it. And if I didn't have to preach this morning, I wouldn't be here. It's just that simple. I just, I just didn't feel like it. Um, and she's like, that was so refreshing because I don't ever hear pastors say stuff like that. Mm. And I'm like, really? Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm just, I, I, and I, I explained to her and her husband, I said, listen, you know, I'm literally, people have this idea that preachers, pastors um, are different. 
than everybody else. And we're not, we have a different job because we may have been given a different gift, but in terms of our connection to the rest of humanity, I mean, we get afraid at the same things. We're insecure about the same things. We're just as selfish as the guy next to us. Mm. We're just as egotistical as the guy next to us. I mean, there's, there may be a functional difference between preachers and parishioners, but there's not a foundational one. Um, and so, you know, I, I do think that there is what we constantly hear. There is, um, there's an honesty, there's a transparency, there is a, a vulnerability about what people experience when they come in the door. Um, there's a realness to it. It's gritty. It corresponds to reality. I'm not talking about something that these people haven't felt a thousand times in the last four days, because I have felt those things a thousand times in the last four days. And I just stand up and I open up my heart and I show people what's in there and how God meets me in all those places. It's not a, it's not a real complicated formula. It's just, it's kind of just being real. Um, and, 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 uh, and I think people appreciate that. They, they, for whatever reason, they find that to be very unique in comparison to their other church experiences. They don't, they've never gotten that sense. I have a friend named Steve Brown, who was a mentor of mine and a dear friend. And he told a story one time about standing up at a conference and he's a real kind of edgy guy. He's 81 now, but just kind of, you know, he's always been a pipe smoker and he's just always kind of been like a real earthy guy, great preacher, loves God. Um, he's pastored some significant churches in our country. And, uh, and he said, I was speaking at a conference and I was basically telling everybody that I'm as big of a sinner as they are. And he said, one guy came up to me afterwards. He said, you know, I've heard a bunch of preachers say that, but you're the first one I've actually believed. <laughs> and, I thought, <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's a good, I think everybody, when yeah. I stand up and I say that I'm a train wreck, I don't think anybody thinks I'm saying that for effect. I think they know it. <laughs> I mean, they know it. They know I'm telling the truth because I share specifics of my train wreckedness with them. Right. So they know. And I just, you know, I feel free to do that. I've never felt more free in a church setting mm. than I do now. I've never felt more content uh, personally or professionally. And it's just a reminder that, um, that God redeems. Amen. It's a reminder that no matter how far you walk away, how far you run, how far you wander, um, how militantly you rebel. Um, I mean, God redeems, God yeah. redeems. And while our sin reaches far, his grace reaches farther and we can never, we can never out sin the coverage of God's forgiveness. And that's just, Amen. my life proves that. Man, that, that is powerful stuff. And you're right. There's, there's authenticity with that. You know, there's, when mm -hmm. you're being real, you know what I mean? It, it just allows everyone else just to be just to rest. And I think, yeah, you know, your approach, your approach, when you do that, delivering the message and sharing your, your heart, sharing who you are and being very transparent, it just lets people know that, wow, maybe, maybe there's hope for me as well. You yeah, know? that's so right. That's right. It's, it's, it's awesome. I'm not beyond hope. That's You're right. not beyond hope. Right. Well, yeah. Tony, and I, I have really enjoyed this interview. Again, we're going to get you back on, man, but I want to give you an opportunity because I know you got, some other places to go, but, uh, 
as we close, if listeners want to get connected with you, to connect with, you know, in some sort of way through your ministry or want to reach you and learn more about your books, what's the best way to get in contact? Yeah, I mean, they can visit my website, which is not updated, <laughs> uh, but they can still reach me through that. They can email through me through that and it comes directly to me. I don't have a team of people. It comes directly to me. Um, so they can go to my website, Tullian, it's just Tullian.net. T-U-L-L-I-A-N.net, and they can find me. They can email me through the website. Um, they can also find me on social media. I think my Instagram is Tullian T-C-H, and I think my, I think my Facebook and Twitter is Tullian T. Um, so they can find me there, and I get a bunch of messages on my social media that I try to respond to. I can't respond to all of them, but I try to respond. Um, so yeah, they can they can find me there, um, and that all of those places will point them to where they can find my sermons or where they can find my books, or um, they can also go to our church website, which is the sanctuary. I think it's this, let me double check. <laughs> we, ch I think we changed it. Um, I think it's the sanctuary. Hold on. The sanctuary. I don't even know. I think it's the sanctuary. Hold on a second. Hold on a minute. I'm going to find it right now. You got it. You got it. The sanctuaryfl.org. Okay. The sanctuaryfl as in Florida.org. They can find they can find me there too. So well, man, that's awesome. I want to encourage the men out there and um to, to reach out to Tully. And if you have a question, um, I've really enjoyed this interview. Um, I, t I tell you what, powerful message there. I just want guys to know as they hear this that you know there's there's hope for all of us. We're all free by God's grace. There's nothing you can, you can't outsing God, like Tolian said, that we are free in Christ. And Tolian, I want to just say thank you, man, for being part of uh, the Resolute Men podcast today. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Rob. It was very enjoyable. Uh, same here, brother. Well, take care and God bless. Thanks, you too. You can check out previous episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join the conversation with us on Instagram and on ResoluteMen.org.